This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Dragnet is brought to you by Chesterfield, made by Liggett and Myers, first major tobacco company to give you a complete line of quality cigarettes. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to Bunko Fugitive Detail. An extortion ring is operating in your city. The victims are wealthy businessmen. The thieves claim they're policemen. Your job? Check them out. Friends, this month's Chesterfield poster features the world's greatest golfer, Ben Hogan. Now, here's what he has to say about Chesterfields. I'm a Chesterfield smoker and have been for seven years. The reason's simple. Chesterfield is the best for me. They're milder, and they taste great. Try them yourself. Take Ben Hogan's advice. Try Chesterfield, the only cigarette ever to give you proof of low nicotine, highest quality, and a proven record with smokers. Chesterfield, regular or king size, best for you. Dragnet. The documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Tuesday, August 10th. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of Bunko Fugitive Detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Captain Didion. My name's Friday. I'd spent the morning in court, and it was 11.45 a.m. when I got back to room 38. Bunko Division. Well, I'm telling you, you better do something about it. It's getting terrible when a citizen has a thing like this happen to him. All right, Mr. Mather. If you'll take it easy, tell me what happened. I got a lot of friends in this town. I happen to know one of the councilmen real well. If you don't clean this thing up, you're going to be walking a beat out in a plum thicket. Just a minute, Mr. Mather. Here's my partner. Now, if you'll tell us what happened, maybe we can help you out. Now, you don't need no partner. Just go out and arrest them fellas. Go get them. What's the matter here? This is Mr. Keith Mather, Joe. It's my partner, Sergeant Friday. How are you, sir? Now, don't you come around here trying to smooth things over. I'm not going to be happy until them hoodlums are in jail where they belong. I'm telling you the same as I told this fella. You do something about this, I'm going to take it to the mail. Well, what's the matter here, Frank? I don't know. I'm trying to find out. Well, what you going to do about it? How about a cigarette, huh? Thank you. Here, I have a match. There you are. How about it? Sir? Well, how about it? What you gonna do? Well, sir, if you'd start right at the beginning and tell us what this is all about, maybe we can give you a hand. Well, there isn't a shoe shine in the world that's worth $5. I don't care what kind of wax they use, not for $5, no, sir. Shoe shine? Yes. They call it imported wax, where the charge for it must be brought in from Timbuktu. Ridiculous. I'll get the report. Right. Take a match and light it, and they burn the edges of your shoe soles. 
Don't do nothing but smoke up your shoes, that's all. Just smoke up your shoes, a $5 hot foot. You want to give us your full name, sir? Keith Jefferson Matter. Right there on the street to threaten me. Where'd this happen, sir? Shoeshine stand, the corner of Main and Cola. Little place with pinup pictures all over the walls. Never seen so many pinups. Mm-hmm. Do you know if they had a card showing the prices of the shines? Well, I didn't see one. Only them pictures, hard to tell. Well, if you just tell us in your own words exactly what happened, will you please? I was on my way to work. Had a very busy day, a lot of important appointments. I just parked my car and I was walking along and went by this place. A fella standing there asked me if I wanted to shine. Just so happened I did, so I climbed up in the chair. Well, I was sitting there reading the paper and the man asked me if I wanted imported wax. I wasn't paying a lot of attention. I guess I said yes. Next thing I know, I think he's trying to give me a hot foot. I look down, he's got this big kitchen match out. He's burning the edges of my soles. Smoke coming up. I told him to stop it. I got down from the chair. I was plenty sore. You can just bet I was sore. Plenty. Yes, sir, we can understand. Well, I handed him half a dollar. Figured that'd take care of the tip, too. Wasn't a very good shine. Come right down to it, a half dollar was too much. All that smoke. Next thing I know, he said the shine was five dollars. Five dollars! Almost climbed right down top of the place. Couldn't believe my ears. Can you imagine five dollars for a shine? That's when the men got out of the car, did they? That's right. And three fellas got right out. Say, how'd you know about that? Well, sir, this isn't a new operation. You mean tell me this happened before? Yes, sir. We get a couple of dozen complaints a week. We'll finish up this report, and then if you'll point out the place, we'll have a look. Then you can just start right, and I told you I had a lot of important appointments. I can't spend all day here. Can I see someone here, please? Yes, sir. You want to go ahead with this, Frank? I'll see what he wants. Yes, yeah, sir. Yes, sir. Could I help you? I want to give myself up. Sir? This is Bunko Fugitive, isn't it? That's what it says on the door. Yes, sir. That's right. I want to give myself up. I'm tired of running. I haven't got any place to go. Would you like to tell me what this is all about? I gave him every nickel I had. I haven't even got enough money to go home. All I want's enough to eat on and get back home. I gave him everything. I don't believe I understand you, sir. I gave him all the money I had. He said it'd be all right. Now I'm broke and I want to borrow enough to get home. Well, who are you talking about? Who'd you give the money to? Policeman. The man who'd walked into the office identified himself as Martin Dietrich. From the story he gave us, it appeared that he'd been the victim of a shakedown by a person or persons representing themselves as police officers. We turned the shoeshine parlor complaint over to one of the other officers for investigation, and then we took Dietrich across the street to the Federal Cafe. We sat down in a booth and ordered coffee while the victim had breakfast. He acted as if he hadn't eaten in several days. Frank and I waited until he finished, and then we started to question him. Ah, uh, if you'll just tell us what happened, Dietrich. Sure. I'm from Chicago. I worked for a wholesale drug company back there, and I had to come out here on business. I got in last Saturday. That'd be August 7th, would it? Yeah, yeah, the 7th. I got in at 8.45 on the Super Chief. Well, I didn't have any business to do until yesterday, so I thought I'd look the town over, get settled, you know? Yes, sir. I didn't even have hotel reservations, so after I got off the train, I was waiting for my baggage to be checked through, and I went over to the coffee shop for some coffee. Sat down, started to read the paper, must have been there for about 15, 20 minutes when this guy came in and sat down next to me. Go ahead. He just sat there for a couple of minutes. I didn't pay any attention to him. I'm busy reading the paper, you know? Mm-hmm. Then he asked me for a match. I gave him one, told him to keep the pack. I remember telling him that. Next thing I know, we're in a big conversation. Turns out he's from Chicago, too. Did he tell you his name? He said it was Gabriel Bush. Uh, told me he was in the wholesale liquor business. Said he was out here on a selling trip, checking up on the branch office. Well, I went right along with him. Seemed like such a nice fellow, well-dressed, cultured. Yeah, even knowing it, you sure wouldn't figure him for what he was. What was that, sir? A narcotic addict. You sure about that? Well, I should be. It cost me over $3,000 to find out. You want to go on, sir? We got a cab and went out to a big hotel on Wilshire. He had reservations there. He signed the card and we went up to the room. 
The way he acted, you'd never know anything was wrong, never even suspected. I see. Well, we no sooner got in the room that Gabe started to unpack his suitcase. Gabe? Yeah, Gabriel Bush. Oh, yeah. He told me to call him Gabe. Said he was named after a great uncle or something. Didn't care much for the name. I see. Go ahead, please. Well, he unpacked his bag, and I guess I should have noticed something then, the way he acted. How do you mean? When he took the stuff out of his bag, he acted like he didn't want me to see what he was doing. But he, he did it in a funny way, so I couldn't miss noticing it. You know what I mean? I think I do, yeah. Well, he went into the bathroom, stayed in there a couple of minutes, and then when he came out, he had his sleeve rolled up, had a piece of cotton on his arm, like when they give you a transfusion. You know here? Yeah. He had this little leather case, and when he went to put it away, he dropped it. Spilled the stuff in it all over the floor. I should have gotten out right then, right there. If I'd have had any brains, I would have gotten out. What was in the case, do you know? All the stuff for taking narcotics, hypodermic needle, all that stuff. Now, what did he say when he dropped this? He just tried to laugh it off. Then he told me that he was a diabetic, said that he had to take insulin shots. About that time, the other two guys came in. What did these two men want? Said Gabe was a narcotic addict, said they'd been after him for a long time and that they'd gotten word from the Chicago police that he was coming out here. Yeah. And told me that they'd been following us since we got off the train, been following us all the time. What'd they do then? Took us downstairs and put us in a car, said they were going to take us to jail. I tried to talk to them, tell them I didn't have any part in what Gabe was doing. I didn't even know about the narcotics. One of them said they knew that. That you weren't involved in it? Yeah. Then the other one opened up the glove compartment of the car and took out a microphone, called in here to police headquarters, gave them Gabe's name and mine, said they had us in custody and were bringing us in. And I kept asking the one guy in the back with me to let me go, let me get out of the car. What'd he say? Oh, he told me that they'd like to, but it was too late, that they'd already called in my name, said they couldn't do anything about it now. I told him how it had ruined me if the story got out. How could, how could I explain it to my bosses? That's when they told me there was a way. Yeah. The one fellow said that if I could afford to take care of all the policemen who knew that I'd been picked up, maybe they could fix it. The other one, the one in the front seat, said that wasn't a good idea, that they should book me. Well, they got in a discussion about it. The one guy wanted to let me go. The other one said not to. Finally, the one with me, the one in the back seat, won out. I gave him all the money I had. $3,350. How much? $3,350. I see. Then they pulled the car over to the curb and told me to get out. The badge these two men showed you. Did it look like this one? I think so. I was so worried I didn't get a real close look at it. I think it was the same. I see. Either one of them tell you their names? Not the one in the front seat. The one who wanted to let me go said his name was Lang. Said he was a sergeant. He tell you where he worked? Just narcotics, that's all he said. Uh, you gave him this money all in cash, did you? Yeah, all of it. Say, do you know him? You know these two officers? No, sir, we don't. You said they were policemen, the badges, the police car, even the radio. Did you hear anyone talk back to him on that radio? I don't remember. I was so upset about what was happening, I didn't pay any attention to what was going on. All I could think about was that I was going to jail for something I didn't know anything about. No, I, I don't remember. What kind of a car was it? A Chevrolet. What color? Uh, sort of a light gray. Will you show us the hotel where all this happened? Sure, but I don't understand all this. The other two policemen said that if I gave them the money, everything would be all right. They said they could fix it up. Now, I don't want any trouble. All I want is enough money to get home. They said they'd fix the whole thing up. They told me there wouldn't be any trouble. No trouble. Yes, sir. You think they're really cops? I don't know, but they're wrong about one thing. What's that? There's going to be trouble. 12.52 p.m. We took the victim, Martin Dietrich, back to the city hall. We got in touch with Lieutenant Ionone, Internal Affairs Division. We filled him in on what had happened. He started an immediate check of all police officers in the city and the county. Working from the description we'd gotten from the victim, we notified the narcotics detail. They went to work on it. A local and an APB were gotten out on the suspects. We checked the name Gabriel Bush through R&I, 
but when the mug shots from the packages that we came up with were shown to Dietrich, he was unable to give us an identification. 3.15 p.m., we drove the victim out to the hotel where he told us the shakedown had occurred. In the company of the manager, we went upstairs. Come right in. This is the room. How about it, Dietrich? Yeah, this is where he brought me. Mr. Alden, do you know anything about the man who took this room? You mean Mr. Bush? Yes, sir. No, I don't. I do remember when he came in, registered with this gentleman here, had a reservation. I had the boy bring him up to the room. Yes, sir. Well, all the time Mr. Bush was signing the card, he was telling Mr. Dietrich here that there was a convention in town, how all the hotels were full up. Well, that's not right. We haven't had a really big convention in a couple of months. Why, right here in this place, we've got several rooms we could have let Mr. Dietrich have. Not that we're not doing a good business, you understand, not at all. Yes, sir. But we do have a few very nice rooms. Have you ever seen this Mr. Bush before? No, no, I don't think I ever have. All right, sir. If we could take a look at the registration card, and then we'd like to talk to the cashier. Sure. Do you know if their bill was paid when they checked out? I imagine so. I don't collect the money. Cashier does that. We can ask her. All right, sir. You think you might get a clue from her? Well, we'd like to talk to her if we could. She won't be able to tell you anything that I haven't filled you in on already. Sir? Well, it follows. I'm the manager here. Anything goes on, I'm going to know about it. Not only that, but I've worked a lot with our security officer. How's that, sir? House detective. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, I help him out all the time. People are always trying to get away with hotel property, but we stop them. Come right down to it. I could almost be a policeman myself. All I need is a badge and a gun. Afraid you're a little wrong there, mister. Just a badge and a gun. They don't make you a cop. p.m. We talked to the cashier at the hotel. She told us that the bill for the room had been paid by Gabriel Bush at 2.15 the afternoon of the shakedown, three hours after Martin Dietrich had turned over all his money to the thieves. She told us that the bill had been paid with cash and that she could give us no further information on the man. We obtained the registration card the suspect had signed when he checked into the hotel. In the usual processing of the card by hotel employees, it had been handled so much that lifting fingerprints from it was impossible. The card was turned over to Don Myers in handwriting to be checked. 5.20 p.m., the victim started to look through the photographs of police officers. Lieutenant Iannone's preliminary investigation had failed to turn up any police officers who matched the description of the shakedown men. A check with the officers from narcotics detail netted us nothing. They were still checking their sources of information to help us in coming up with a lead. 11.16 p.m., we took the victim out for dinner, and then we came back to the city hall and continued to go through the pictures. At 1.26 a.m., he finished the last book without finding the men who'd claimed that they were police officers. We checked out of the office, and Dietrich spent the night at Frank's house. The following morning, Wednesday, August 11th, 8.04 a.m., Frank and I met with Captain Didion in his office. Well, where are you on it? Not too far, Skipper. What have you got? Well, we checked the files. We're pretty sure that they aren't policemen. How about narcotics? They come up with anything? Not yet. They're still working on it. You need any extra men? No, not right now. We might later. I got Johnny DeBetta standing by. You can use anybody else you need, but clean this thing up. Where do you go from here? Well, we're getting descriptions out to all the hotels. Warning them about the racket. Asking them to call us if this Bush guy registers again. Doesn't seem like he'll use the same name again. No reason not to, Skipper. He doesn't know we're on to him. I suppose so. I got an idea last night. Might work. At least it'd be something to start on. All right. Well, it figures that the only men who'll go for this Dodge have got responsible positions in their hometowns. If they didn't have, they wouldn't care about being brought down here along with Bush. Is that right? Yeah, that follows. They gotta be from out of town so the con men can get rid of them fast. Yeah. Now, this Dietrich, he was picked up in the Union Station, right? Yeah, that's right. And if you're going to pick your men up, that's the place to do it. Try to nail them while they're setting the mark. Yeah, it might work. It'd be better if one of us was the mark, though. That's what I had in mind. You got any good luggage, Joe? Expensive looking? Well, I got a set my mother gave me last Christmas. Looks pretty good to me. We'll try it, then. 
Smith, you'll work with Tibetti. Keep a tail on Friday from the time he gets into Union Depot. Joe. Yeah. Here's a timetable. What? Tomorrow morning you start riding the train. You are listening to Dragnet, the authentic story of your police force in action. It's taking place at your dealers, cigarette dealers, coast to coast. Smokers by the thousands are now changing to Chesterfield. Join them today, and you'll be smoking the only cigarette that gives you proof of low nicotine, highest quality. I want you to know that's a matter of record, and so is this. As I've been telling you, Chesterfield is the only cigarette with this proven record with smokers. No adverse effects to the nose, throat, and sinuses from smoking Chesterfields. Good reasons why you should change to Chesterfield? You bet. Ask for Chesterfield. Regular or king size, best for you. The following morning, Thursday, August 12th, I drove out to Pasadena. At 8.12 a.m., I caught the train on its last stop before it reached the Union Depot in Los Angeles. At 8.45 a.m., the train pulled into the station. I got off, walked up the ramp into the terminal. From there, I walked over to the coffee shop and waited for over an hour. From where I sat, I could see Frank and Sergeant John DeBetta further down the counter. At the end of the hour, no attempt had been made to approach me, and we called off the operation for the day. While I was in the coffee shop, I watched for anybody matching the description of the suspect Bush, but if he was there, we didn't see him. The operation was staged again for the next two days without results. On Sunday, August 15th, I went through the same procedure. After the waitress brought my coffee, I waited. 9.02 a.m. Mind if I sit down here? No, go right ahead. Here, I'll move my coat. I'll get it for you. You're not going to need an overcoat out here. Sure is hot. Yeah, I guess so. This is my first trip. Thought I'd bring one with me anyway. California weather, you know. Yeah, never know. Where are you from? Chicago. Want to take the chief in? Yeah. Just thought I'd have a cup of coffee before I started out to find a hotel. Yeah. Guess I had to introduce myself. I'm Gabriel Bush. Friends call me Gabe. Well, my name's Friday. Did you just get into? Yeah. I work for a wholesale liquor company in Chicago. It's a small world. Where are your offices? On State Street. Got a little trouble with our West Coast office, so the boss sent me out to see if I can straighten it out. What are you doing here? Oh, just kind of business and pleasure. Mm-hmm. What line are you in? Machine tools. How long are you going to be in town? Well, as a matter of fact, I'm leaving Tuesday. That doesn't give you a lot of time here. You know anybody in town? No, sir, I don't. Not a soul. Where'd you say you're staying? Well, I'm not staying anyplace. I haven't got a place yet. Thought I'd go over to the Statler. Oh, you're not going to get in there. Matter of fact, you're going to have a rough time getting in any place. Oh, is that so? Yeah, there's a big convention in town. No rooms to be had. I made my reservation a couple of weeks ago. The office out here took care of it. Well, I didn't know it'd be that crowded. Should I tell you what? Yeah. Come on over to my hotel. You can park your luggage there, and I'll get in touch with a couple of friends here and see what they can do. Well, that's sure nice of you, but I don't want you to go to a lot of trouble. I'll find a place somewhere. It's no trouble at all. Can't let a fellow Chicagoan stand out in the cold. I'm sure the boys can find you a place. Now, you know, I sure appreciate all this. I don't think anything about it. Who knows? Maybe you'll be able to do something for me someday. Yeah, maybe I can. We walked out of the terminal and we got into a cab. I could see Frank and DeBetta following us. The address Bush gave the cab driver was out on Wilshire. We pulled up in front of the place we went in. The suspect signed the registration card and we went upstairs. All the time he kept up a running conversation about how difficult it was to get a hotel room. The bellboy left our bags in the room and asked us if we wanted them opened. 
Bush made it apparent to both the boy and to me that he was the only one who was going to open his own suitcase. After the bellboy left the room, Bush laid his bag on the bed and snapped it open. He took out a small leather case, trying to keep me from seeing it, and at the same time making sure that I did. He went into the bathroom, and after about two minutes, he came out. He'd taken off his coat, and his left shirt sleeve was rolled back. He had a small piece of cotton on his arm. I feel a lot better now. What's the matter? Something wrong? Oh, no, nothing at all. You see, I'm a diabetic. I have to take insulin shots every so often. Oh, that's too bad. I'll get this back in my suitcase, and we can start looking for a room for you. Well, that's nice of you. Oh. oh, here, let me give you a hand. I'll help you pick it up. Oh, no, it's all right. Don't worry about it. I can get it. Here, just a minute. I guess this spoon's part of it, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I didn't know you used a spoon for insulin. I'll get it. Hey, wait a minute. Let me put this stuff away. Well, I'll open the door, see who it is anyway, huh? Yeah, what do you want? Police officers. You're under arrest. What for? Narcotics. What are you doing breaking in here like this? You got no right coming in a room like this. I'd knock it off, Bush. We've been after you for a long time. We finally nailed you, and I don't ball about it. This other fellow, a cop, too? Yeah, this is my partner, Roger Silby. Now, listen, I had no part in this. I just met this guy. If you want him, okay, but don't tie me in with him, please. Too bad, mister. Get your coat. Where are we going? Downtown. We've got to book you. But I had no part in this. I tell you, I just met the guy just this morning down at the depot. I just met him. I'm not mixed up in anything. My company finds out about this, it's going to cost me my job. Now, you guys got to give me a break, please. Should have thought of that before, mister. A little late now. Yeah, but if my boss hears about this, he's going to kill oh, me. Come on, why don't you give the guy a break? He's telling the truth. I just met him. He's got no piece of the action. That's rough. Maybe next time he'd be more careful who he bums around with. Let's go. Oh, please, give him a break. You guys are all alike. You cry when you get tagged. Yeah, but this isn't right. Let's go. We're taking you in. Well, what's the charge? We'll tell you in jail. The two men had shown us badges when they came in, but they'd flashed them by so fast there was no way of taking a good look at them. They made Bush and I get our things together, and then they took us downstairs. As we walked through the lobby, I nodded to Frank and Johnny DeBetta. They followed us at a distance. The plan was that I'd get in the car with the suspects and then give them the money. After that, they'd be taken into custody. Until they'd actually taken the money, all we could prosecute them on was a charge of impersonating an officer. Once the currency was in their possession, we could prove extortion, a felony. After we left the hotel, we walked up Wilshire Boulevard and we stopped by a gray Chevrolet. All right, get in. Is this a police car? That's right. I'll take this one in front with me. Okay. All right, get in. You're making a mistake. We'll let the judge worry about that. I'll call in and tell him we're coming in. Right. This is car 12-7, car 12-7. We have two prisoners in custody. We're taking them downtown for booking. Repeat, we have two prisoners in custody. We're taking them downtown for booking. All right, just sit back, mister. You got a long ride. What are they going to do to me? We just book you. After that, it's up to the court. Yeah, but they're going to let me go, aren't they? I don't know. I got a big drive on now about narcotics. Court's getting pretty rough. Had a guy up just last week. They caught him in a car with another fellow who was smoking marijuana. This one guy didn't even know it was tea. They really nailed him. Hey, how long did they give Jensen? You mean on that tea wrap last week? Yeah. Five years. Now, you see, they're really getting rough. Yeah, but you know I didn't have anything to do with this. You said that yourself. You know that. Listen, isn't there some way? There's got to be a way. I don't know. We don't like to see guys like you nailed, but the pressure's on us, too. We'd like to just let you out of the car, forget we ever saw you. We can't do it. Why not? Why can't you? Too many people know we picked you up. Well, who? Who knows it? Well, our office, for one. As soon as we spotted you and Bush at the hotel, we called them. Told them we were going to take you into custody. My partner just called in and told them we had you. People on the radio know it. Must be a couple of dozen. No, I'm sorry. There's nothing we can do. Sorry. It's a lousy deal. It's going to ruin me. You guys know that. I'll lose my job. I'll be through. I don't know. We'd like to help you out, but you can see there just isn't any way. But there's got to be. Sylvie? Yeah? 
How about it? Can't we just let him out? You tell me how we're going to get away with it. How are we going to explain when he isn't there to be booked? Oh, look, he's a nice guy. I don't want to see him get into trouble for something he didn't do. Neither do I, but how do you figure to square it? Well, you're bright, cops. Come on, give the guy a break. Suppose we could take care of the watch, Commander. Maybe he'd forget we called in. Taking care of him is expensive. Yeah. How much money you got on you? Well, about $2,500. It's not too much. Can you raise any more? No, not without sending home. I can't do that. How about it, Sylvie? $2,500 enough? Won't go very far. A lot of people to take care of. That's all he's got. Ain't enough. Let's book him. Oh, come on. We've been riding together a long time, Sylvie. This is the lousiest deal we've ever had to pull. We take the 2500 and explain it to the commander. It'll work. Come on, let's give the guy a chance. If it goes wrong, it's on your neck. All right, all right. I'll take the beef. Okay, shove him out. We've got to take Bush in, though. All right. Come on, give me the money. Sure. Here you are. It's all there. Okay. Sylvie? Pull over. Let's let him out. Where are we? Fourth and Spring. Would you mind dropping me off a couple of blocks up the street? This isn't a taxi service, mister. You're coming out of this smelling like a rose. Don't press your luck. Well, just a couple of blocks up there near first. Why, what's over there? City Hall. You're under arrest. The three men were taken into custody, and then the marked money was booked as evidence. We got in touch with the victim, Martin Dietrich, and asked him to come down to the City Hall and give us an identification. He looked at the suspects and then stated positively that they were the men who'd shaken him down. That's them. You'll sign a complaint? You bet I will. I want to see him get theirs. Oh, it's all a beef, little con game, that's all. So we took the mark. Shut up, Lang. They still got to prove it. That ain't going to be hard with the help your friend Gabe handed out to them. Imagine being so dumb you pick a cop as a mark. Well, both of you went along with it. Oh, you're dumb, Gabe. Face it. All right, let's go. Come on, mister. Don't give me no orders, cop. You got me in custody. That's enough. Now, don't order me around. I'll go when I'm ready. Come on, Lang. Hey, you know something, cop? I think I play the part better than you do. Now, I'm going to tell you something, mister. I want you to remember it. As a con man, you're a flop. You wouldn't know a mark if he came up and hit you right in the mouth. Besides being bad at that, you're a liar. The worst kind of liar. You go around telling people that you're a cop. You flash a tin badge and write off you're the law. You don't care what you do or who you hurt. I've been in this business a long time. I've seen a lot of 510s come across the desk here. Guys who take old women, cheap crumbs with a handkerchief switch in the smack game. But at least they don't try to hide behind a phony badge. We don't know how many people you pulled this cheap deal on, but we're going to find out. We'll get every name there is, and then we'll make you on all of them. I live in this town. I work here, and I like it. There are 4,500 men in the city who feel the same way, all cops. Men are trying to prove that the law is here to protect people, not to cut them down. They spend every day of the year making up a good score, and you come along and tilt it. Every one of those people you hit thinks he's been taken by a cop now, a cop whose hand was reaching for money that wasn't his. You keep wearing that grin, Lang. See if you can still make it when we turn the key on you. Now let's go. You want to take him outside, Frank? I'll be right with you. Yeah, come on. That all you need me for? Yeah, Martin, we'll be in touch with you. Right. Too bad about all this, isn't it? Yeah. All those people that bunch took, they're always going to think those guys were real cops. Yeah, that's right. Never going to know. Of course, you can't blame them, not really. Look how they got to me. I guess there just ain't any way to tell if a guy flashes a badge, you know. How are you going to tell? Yeah, there's one way. How are you going to know he's a fake? When he asks you for money. story you have just heard is true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On December 17th, trial was held in Department 92, Superior Court of the State of California, in and for the County of Los Angeles. In a moment, the results of that trial. Now, here is our star, Jack Webb. Thank you, George Fenneman. Friends, we'd like to express our appreciation to all of you who've made our Dragnet theme song so popular. Whenever or wherever you hear it, we hope it'll remind you to try our Chesterfields. 
to join the thousands who are changing to Chesterfields and getting the one cigarette that's low in nicotine, highest in quality. Chesterfield, best for me, best for you. Gerald Richard Lang, Richard Harris Silby, and Gabriel Norris Bush were tried and convicted of violation of Section 518 PC, extortion. They received sentences prescribed by law. Violation of Section 518 PC is punishable by imprisonment in the state penitentiary for a period of not less than one, nor more than ten years. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Technical advisors, Captain Jack Donahoe, Sergeant Marty Wynn, Sergeant France Brasher. Heard tonight were Ben Alexander, Vic Perrin, Herb Ellis, Paul Richards. Script by John Robinson. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking. Watch an entirely new Dragnet case history each week on your local NBC television station. Please check your newspapers for the day and time. Chesterfield has brought you Dragnet, transcribed from Los Angeles. This show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Have you tried new cork tip Fatima? It's the smooth smoke with Fatima tips of perfect cork, king size for longer filtering, and Fatima quality for a much better flavor and aroma. Fatima is made and guaranteed by Liggett and Myers Tobacco Company. Try Fatima today. Hear Frank Sinatra as Rocky Fortune tonight on the NBC Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Dragnet is brought to you by Chesterfield, made by Liggett and Myers first major tobacco company to give you a complete line of quality cigarettes. Your 
a detective sergeant. You're assigned a homicide detail. You get a call that a woman has been badly beaten. The circumstances indicate foul play. Your job? Check it out. The nation's top golfers and sports writers have named Ben Hogan Professional Golfer of the Year. Ben, of course, smokes Chesterfields. But let's hear what he has to say about them himself. I'm a Chesterfield smoker and have been for seven years. The reason's simple. Chesterfield is the best for me. They're milder and they taste great. Try them yourself. Take that suggestion from Ben Hogan today. Try Chesterfield, regular or king size. They're low in nicotine, highest in quality, really mild, really satisfying. Chesterfield, best for you. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step-by-step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Tuesday, November 17th. It was raining in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of homicide detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Captain Lorman. My name's Friday. We were on our way back from the main jail, and it was 11.27 p.m. when we got to room 42. Homicide. We've got to get that car radio fixed, Joe. It's getting worse all the time. Yeah, well, we can take it over in the morning. thing almost knocked me right out of the seat when I called in the night. As soon as you press the button, bang, you get a shot. Yeah, when I was out with Lopey yesterday, he picked up the mic. I thought he was going to climb right out of the window. Yeah, well, that's pretty funny as long as you don't have to use the thing. There must be a short someplace, huh? Got to get it fixed. You know, I must have used a dollar's worth of dimes calling in today. If this keeps up, I'm going to have to give up lunches. Well, that wouldn't hurt you either. That's not kind, Joe. I've lost seven pounds in the last two weeks. Where? I'm going to see about a transfer. Well, let's finish up this report so we can get out of here. What do you say? Okay, I'm with you. Hot shot, I get it. That's a robbery call, bar out in the Olympic. Oh, thought for a minute we were going to have to go out. All I want to do is get home and get some dry socks on. My feet are killing me. Yeah, well, I got an idea. If you'll stop talking and pick up a pencil, we can quit on time for a change. Another hot shot. I'll get it. Get your hat. Beating out in Hollywood. Yeah? Woman found her laying in the gutter. She's still alive? Was when they got the call. We better step on it, though. Uh-huh. They don't know how long she's going to last. When we got to the address we'd been given by the complaint board, two radio cars from Hollywood Division were already there. An ambulance had arrived, and the crew was doing what they could for the victim. She was still alive, but the attendant said that she appeared to have a skull fracture in addition to possible internal injuries. From one of the officers who answered the call, we found that the victim had been sprawled across the sidewalk, her head in the gutter. Due to the heavy rain, a stream of water was running down and into a storm drain. The fact that the drain was above the victim's head appeared to be the only thing that saved her from drowning. The crime lab had been called, and the men from Hollywood Division were doing what they could to keep the crowd back in order to preserve any physical evidence that might have been left. The victim appeared to be a woman in her early 40s. The clothes she wore looked expensive, but they were badly torn. Her face was cut, and the men in the ambulance crew removed her immediately to Hollywood Emergency Hospital for treatment. An officer was assigned to her in the event she regained consciousness. 
When she was found, her left shoe was missing and there was no sign of any purse or wallet. None of the people who'd gathered in the crowd could give us an identification of her. The homes in the vicinity were large and the area was sparsely populated. The nearest house to the place where the victim was found was at least 300 feet down the street. We talked to the people in the crowd and found that the man who'd made the original call was still supposed to be there. We checked with the officers in the radio unit, but they said they hadn't seen him. From them, however, we found that the call had been from the home of a Mr. and Mrs. Roger Heflin. We contacted them, and they came back to the scene and pointed out the man. Frank and I took him over to our car for questioning. All right, Johnson, you want to tell us what happened? I don't know. You called the police, didn't you? Yeah, I called them. You found her? Yes, sir. She was lying in the street like that. I got scared, and I called the police. I thought maybe she was dead. What were you doing up here this time of night? Just walking around. You live up here, do you? No. Where do you live? Got a room down a fountain. Let me see your identification, will you, please? Oh, yeah. Here's my wallet. Any money in it? No. All right, let me have it. Yeah, here you are. This your true name? Cecil August Johnson? Yeah. Who's Mary Johnson? Hmm? I say, who's Mary Johnson? Who's she? My sister. This her address here on the card? Yeah. Hey, you aren't going to call her, are you? You aren't going to call her. Why? Well, she'd be pretty sore about it if you did. She don't like me for me to get mixed up with cops. She don't like it at all. You ever been in an institution? Hmm? State institution. You ever been in one? Yeah. I was in Camarillo once. How long ago did you get out? Oh, long time ago. Three days. Long time ago. I haven't been there for a long time. What were you there for? Molesting people. Who? I was in Camarillo. Why'd they send you there, fella? To get well. From what? Just well. Yeah, we know. What'd they want you to get well from? I was never in Camarillo. You haven't been drinking tonight, have you? Hmm? I said, you've been drinking? Yeah, a little bit. Where? Bar down Highway Boulevard. When they sent you to the hospital, what was the reason? I've never been to the hospital. You told us that you'd been in Camarillo. Well, that was to get well. Now, look, fellow, we asked you before. What for? They thought I was molesting people. Were you? No, I didn't hurt anybody. Did they say you did? Yeah. Who? A lady. They said I hit her. Did you hit her? Huh? I said, did you hit the woman? No, I never hurt anybody. You know who the woman is that you found? You aren't going to call my sister, are you? Do you know who the woman is? What woman? Now, look, fellow, pay attention. The one you found tonight. Yeah, I've known her for a long time. What's her name? Grace. You know her last name? Hmm? Do you know her last name? No. You know, I never really been in camera. I just told you that. That's so? Why? I don't know. Just sometimes I like to do things like that. I, I don't have no reason. I just like to do it. Like, once I told my sister I killed a man, she almost fainted. I just like to do that once in a while. Things get dull. I like to get them started. Where'd you meet Grace? Bar down in Hollywood. I go in there all the time. I met her there. Did you meet her there tonight? Yeah. yeah. She was there. Said she had a fight with her old man. Said they had a real beef. She told me he hit her. Belted her right in the mouth. What do you think of a guy do a thing like that to a woman? Any man do a thing like that, he's no good. No good at all. They said I did it, too. Told my sister I hit a woman. Who said that? Other cops when they arrested me. When was this? When I was at Camarilla to get well. You under a doctor's care now? No. no I got real well at Camarilla. Real well. They let me go. You just got through telling us that you'd never been there. I'm a liar. You can't believe anything I say. I'm a real liar. My sister's all the time saying that about me. She says I'm a liar. That's one of the reasons she used to get sore at me. I'm such a liar. I was never there. You know where this Grace lived? No. I think it was up on Ledgewood Drive. I, I think that's where it was, on Ledgewood Drive. You know where the house is? Mm-mm. I never saw it. I was going to go up there one day and punch her old man in the nose. You know, because he hit Grace. I was plenty sore about it. He gave her a black eye. I was plenty sore. But I didn't. You know why? You tell us. Because I thought my sister would get mad at me. She always gets mad when I get in fights. And when I lie. She'd be real sore. She's got no sense of humor. Yeah. 
There's a guy at the hospital who had a real sense of humor. He was funny. He had a piece of inner tube and he wore it like a hat. Floppy, you know? He had a real great sense of humor. But my sister, she don't like anybody to laugh. How many times have you been arrested, fella? Maybe a couple. Here in Los Angeles? Yeah. All the time in L.A. Cops here don't like me. They got no sense of humor. None. I never saw such dull cops. All right, Johnson, you wait here. We got a few things to check out and then we want to take you downtown. You aren't going to arrest me, are you? We'll see. Well, I hope not. My sister, she'd be real sore. Johnson? Hmm? Tell me something. Did you hit her? You mean, did I hit Grace? Is that what you mean? That's what I mean. No. I met her tonight, and she asked me to take a walk with her. We take a walk, that's all. Then all of a sudden, she was lying on the ground. I was pretty drunk. I didn't know what happened. Just all of a sudden, she was there, and I got scared, and I called the cops. But I didn't hit her. I wouldn't do a thing like that to Grace, not me. You believe that, don't you? Well, don't you? You gotta buy it. You got it, because it's the truth. Is that right? Sure, it's the truth. Every word. Well, you said it yourself, didn't you? Hmm? You're an awful liar. 12.52 a.m. Well, one of the officers from a radio unit stood by with Cecil Johnson. We talked with Lieutenant Lee Jones from the crime lab. He told us that what footprints they'd found in the immediate vicinity of the victim had been destroyed by the rain. He told us that his crew was unable to find any useful physical evidence. The area was searched, but we failed to find either the missing left shoe or the woman's purse, if she'd carried one. We put in a call to the Hollywood Receiving Hospital. Dr. Elwin Terrell told us that the victim was suffering from a fracture of the skull and apparently several broken ribs. He told us that the woman was in a deep coma and she couldn't be questioned at that time. We asked him to contact us through the business office in the event that she regained consciousness. We questioned the people in the neighborhood, but they were of no aid. None of them recalled hearing any automobiles on the streets, and none of them could testify as to the people loitering in the area. 1.10 a.m. We took Cecil Johnson and had him detained at the city jail pending further investigation. A check of his record showed that he'd been sent to Camarillo twice on charges of molesting and violation of Section 245 PC. He'd been released into the custody of his sister three weeks previously. Before he was placed in a cell, we got the name and address of the bar where he said he'd met the woman he called Grace. 1.40 a.m. Frank and I drove out to the place. It was located on Hollywood Boulevard near Las Palmas Avenue. There was only one other customer in the place when we went in. The bartender was cleaning up for the night. What'll it be? We're looking for Emil. I'm him. What do you want? It's not about that lousy Jackie, is it? What's that? You're cops, aren't you? Isn't this about Jackie? We're police officers, yeah. You gotta understand, I thought he was an actor. You know, I thought he was just hanging around the place to take work calls. That's what he told me. I didn't have no way of knowing different. It's the truth. We don't know anything about Jackie. We'd like to ask you some questions about a man named Cecil Johnson. That crackpot? You know, I thought you were after me because of Jackie. Oh, there it goes again. Excuse me. Yeah. Hello? Here it is. No, he ain't here anymore. What? I don't care how the horse did. Jackie ain't here. Now, don't call me no more. You see, this guy Jackie's a book. All the time he's using my phone and I don't know it. Yesterday, a couple of cops come in and put the arm on him. All day, the phone's been ringing. Yeah. From what they say, he's lucky he got arrested. He must have lost his shirt yesterday. Horse came in that paid 20 to 1. Boy, he really must have had it. I see. Now, what do you know about this Cecil Johnson? A creep. A real creep. Did you see him tonight? Yeah, he was in. About what time? Let's see. It was uh, just before the fight on TV. That'll make it about 6.45. Yeah, about then. About 6.45. He come in alone? Oh, yeah, always does. He don't have no friends. What time did he leave, do you remember? Oh, he stayed around and watched the fight, got into an argument with a the guy, then he left about, uh, well, let's see, I guess it must have been about 9.30, quarter of 10. 
You know a woman named Grace? We understand she's in here quite a bit. Grace, huh? Well, we got a couple of Graces come in here. What's yours look like? About 42, dark hair, wearing a tweed coat. Excuse me a minute, huh? Yeah. Hello? Yeah, it is. No, he's not here. He won't be back, so stop calling. I don't care if it did pay that. Look, bud, I got no part in the action. Now, forget the number, huh? Jackie's gone. He's in the can. Yeah, he's pinched. Now, lay off, huh? Now, let's see. Dark hair, tweed coat. Oh, yeah, that'll be Grace Dillon. Dillon? Yeah, she's pretty much of a regular. Uh, D-I-L-L-O-N. Yeah, I guess so. D-I-L-L-O-N. I guess that's the way to spell it. Well, what's all the questions? Something wrong? What time was she in here tonight? Who says she was? Well, that's what we understand. Oh. Oh, yeah, well, there's nothing wrong around here. No reason not to cooperate. She was here, come in about 8. What time she leave? Well, I guess it was 9.30, 9.45. She leave alone? I gotta think about that. All right. Lots of people in here with the fights, you know. Let me think. Uh, I'm gonna tear that thing right out of the wall. He ain't here. He's been pinched. I don't know when he'll be back, and I don't care. You know, come to think about it, I think she left with that Cecil. Johnson? Yeah. Did either one of them have much to drink, you know? Well, Cecil had a couple of beers. That's all he needs. Don't take much with him. How about the Dillon woman? She was feeling no pain when she got here. Really carrying a load. I finally told her to take a walk, told her I couldn't serve her no more. That's when she left. Her and Cecil were sitting right there next to each other. When I told her I wouldn't pour no more for her, she got hacked and her and Cecil left. You know where she lives? Not right off. I, I can look it up. We keep a list of people who come in here. Send them announcements about things, like when we get a new piano play, things like that. Oh, I see. I can look it up for you. Just take a minute. Fine, thanks. C-A-B-C. Oh, here it is. Darby, Dexter, Dibbs. Wished he'd come in and pick up the tab we can. Oh, let's see here. Here it is. Here it is. Twenty-nine seventeen Ledgewood Drive. Twenty-nine seventeen. Thank you. You can take the card if you want. Don't make any difference to me if she never comes back. The way she carried on tonight, people just don't understand. What's that? You can just serve them so much. After that, you're pouring a hundred-proof trouble. You got to shut them off sometime. Uh huh. She ever come in here with her husband? Dylan? Yeah. A couple of times. Quite a while ago, though. They came in late one night, sat back there in the booth, had a couple of quick belts. He drinks Irish whiskey, likes it neat. They had a big beef. I finally had to go back and ask him to go out. He's a real bum. He's mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The kind of guy where to know him is to hate him. You know the kind? Yeah. He ain't here. I don't care how much you lost. He's in the can. What? What? Oh, yeah, honey. Well, I didn't know it was you. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'll be home early, as soon as I close up. Right. Yeah, well, I do, too. What? All right, honey. I love you. I do, too, mean it. Look, honey, there's a, there's a couple of men here I got to talk to, huh? Well, yeah, as soon as I close up, yeah. Hey, hey, goodbye, honey. What? Oh, yeah, yeah, all right. There, bye. Let's see. The wife, we've just been married a couple of weeks. She's kind of, uh, you know. Yeah. Did Dylan ever hit his wife, would you know? Yeah, he did. She came in here one night with a mouse that had no end. Said her old man gave it to her. Say, what's all this about anyway? There's something wrong with Grace? Something happened to her? Well, we don't know yet. Well, let me give you this for free. If there's anything happened to her, six to an even was her old man. He's a real bum. He's mean. Anything wrong, and it's him that caused it. You better talk to him. You'll find out. All right, sir. Thank you very much. Yes, sir, we will. Thanks. No, not at all. Glad to help out. All right. Good night. Uh, say, you guys going downtown? Yeah, that's right. To the jail? Yeah. Well, if you see Jackie, will you give him a message for me? 
All right, what's that? Tell him if he gets out, I don't want him back here no more. Okay. Guy ties up my phone. a.m. We got a description of the victim's husband and checked the name through R&I. We were unable to come up with any criminal record on him. Frank and I drove out to the address given us by the bartender. It was a large English stucco house five blocks from where Grace Dillon had been found. We rang the bell and waited. An elderly woman answered the door and told us that Herman Dillon was not in. She explained that she was a babysitter and that she'd been called to take care of the couple's three children. She went on to say that Mr. Dillon left the house at approximately 10.15 p.m. and had not yet returned. We called the office and arranged for a stakeout to be set up on the house. While we waited for the officers to arrive, the babysitter told us that the Dillons had constant fights. She said that on several occasions, Mr. Dillon threatened to kill his wife if she didn't spend more time at home taking care of the children. She went on to explain that there'd been an argument that evening, and that after a loud fight, the wife had left the house. After she'd been gone for over an hour, Herman Dillon left to find her. 3.02 a.m., the officers arrived. We asked them to wait for the husband to return and then to notify us immediately. Frank and I drove downtown and checked into the crime lab. We talked with Lieutenant Lee Jones regarding his findings. He told us that he'd gone over the victim's clothing, but he was unable to find any physical evidence to help us in finding her assailant. 3.46 a.m., we checked into the office and put in a call to the hospital. How do you spell that, Doc? Huh? Uh, A-D-E. Yes, sir. Well, do you have any idea when that might be? I see, sir. Mm-hmm. Well, if you'll let us know. Right. Yeah, the business office here will know how to reach us. Right. Thanks again. Good night, Doc. How is she? Well, the doctor says he's finished his examination. She's got a frontal bone fracture, three broken ribs, cuts, and contusions. She going to be all right? Yeah, you think so. Says she might come out of it any time. Says it looks like she might have been thrown from a car. Well, that'd explain the missing shoe and purse, wouldn't it? Yeah. You have any idea when we can talk to her? No, might not do any good anyway. What do you mean? Well, the doc says this kind of fracture can produce a retrograde amnesia. Huh? She won't remember anything. listening to Dragnet, the authentic story of your police force in action. It's taking place at your dealers, cigarette dealers coast to coast. Smokers by the thousands are now changing to Chesterfield. Join them today, and you'll be smoking the only cigarette that gives you proof of low nicotine, highest quality. I want you to know that's a matter of record, and so is this. As I've been telling you, Chesterfield is the only cigarette with this proven record with smokers. No adverse effects to the nose, throat, and sinuses from smoking Chesterfields. Good reasons why you should change to Chesterfield? You bet. Ask for Chesterfield. Regular or king size, best for you. and I signed out of the office and we went home. At 5.13 a.m., I got a call that the husband of the victim, Herman Dillon, had returned home. The officers who called said that they were bringing him down to the city hall. I got in touch with Frank, and by the time we got to the squad room, Dillon was already there. He appeared dazed and acted as if he'd been drinking heavily. We sent out for some black coffee for him. He apparently didn't know what had happened to his wife. What's all this about, anyway? What are you dragging me out of my house like this for? Got a few questions we want to ask you, Dillon. What do you got that's so important you got to go through it at 6 in the morning? When did you see your wife last? About 7.30 last night. Why? How do you and your wife get along? We've been married for 10 years. It's not much of an answer, mister. You're not married. Been married 10 years and it's an answer. 
been married ten years, it's all the answer you need. Well, maybe you better spell it out for me. After that long, you have a few disagreements. Bound to. You know, being together all that time. You and your wife have a disagreement last night, did you? Yeah, we had a discussion. What about? I don't think that's any of your business. Yeah, well, maybe it is. Now, what'd you argue about? Her running around. Wasn't a real argument, just a discussion. Well, we got it. It was more than that. Then you got it wrong. We heard you hit her a couple of times. That's a lie. I might have shoved her a little. She had it coming, though, all the time running around. We got three kids, three little kids, and she doesn't care that for them. Always going out, hanging around those cheap bars, boozing it up. I came home the other night. She'd walked out and left the kids all alone, all by themselves. Didn't even get a sitter for them. Where you been tonight? Why? Why you have to know that? You want to tell us? Yeah. After Grace and me had the fight, she walked out. I waited for her to come home. Then when she didn't, I went out to find her. Did you? Hmm? Did you find her? No, I looked all over for her. All the bars along the boulevard, but she wasn't there. Where you been since the bars closed? Walking around. And all this rain? Yeah. I've been trying to figure out what to do, trying to make up my mind. About what? What I should do with Grace. Things can't go on like this. They just can't. We've heard from some of your wife's friends that you made threats in their lives. Is that right? Who told you that? We just heard it. Is it true? Yeah, I suppose so. If I'd have found it a night, I'd have maybe killed her. I'd never been so mad before. You see anybody you knew tonight? What? When you were walking around, did you see anybody you knew? No, why? When you got no way to prove where you were. Why'd I have to do that? Might make things easier on you. Hey, what's this all about, anyway? Why are you asking all these questions about me and Grace? What are you trying to say? Where is Grace, you know? Yeah. Well, where is she? What's happened to her? She's in the hospital. She's had an accident. It's pretty bad. What kind of an accident? Looks like she was beaten. And you think I did it? Might have been you. Is she alive? Yeah. You think I beat her up? Did you? No. I maybe wanted to, knock some sense into her, but I didn't do it. You prove where you were tonight? Why? Can you prove where you were? No, I don't even know myself. Hey, you, you really think I did it? That's what we're trying to find out. You know, I was pretty drunk tonight. I got real loaded. That's a terrible part. Yeah, let me see your hands, will you? Why? Let me see them. All right. Put them up there, both of them. Here. Where'd you get those bruises? I don't know. I don't remember. You better try this. It's pretty important. I told you I was drunk. There's only one thing that'll put bruises like that on your hands. Yeah? You hit something pretty hard. Herman Dillon was detained pending further investigation. We'd called the hospital, but there was no change in Mrs. Dillon's condition. Because of the lack of physical evidence, her testimony was essential in apprehending the person who'd beaten her. We had two prime suspects. Cecil Johnson, who was known to have been in her company when she left the bar. Johnson's record indicated that he was capable of committing the crime. On the other hand, the victim's husband had stated that he might kill her. He was unable to explain his movements at the time of the attack. The only person who could tell us the true story was the victim herself, and we had the doctor's statement that she might not remember the events immediately leading up to the beating. At 10.14 a.m. the following morning, the officer called from the hospital telling us that Mrs. Dillon had regained consciousness and could be questioned. The doctor told us that she was calling for her husband and asked that we bring Dillon with us. We went by the city jail and picked him up, and then we drove over to the hospital. The doctor told us that Mrs. Dillon was in a weak condition and that we couldn't talk to her at any length. Frank, Dillon, and I went into her room and waited for her to open her eyes. Is that you, Herman? Yes, dear. You're not mad at me, are you? You're not still mad at me? No, dear, I'm not. That's good. I was afraid you still were mad. You know, Herman, you shouldn't have hit me like you did. I know maybe I had a reason, but you shouldn't have hit me. Can you tell us what happened, Mrs. Dillon? Who are you? Police officers. What are you doing here? Trying to find out who did this to you. It wasn't anybody did it. Ma'am? 
wasn't anybody. I did it myself. Silly did it all by myself. I don't believe I understand, Miss Dillon. Him and me had a fight, and I walked out. I was going to leave him. I went down and had a few drinks, just a few, and I got to thinking about me and Herman. I was such a bad wife. I got to thinking about the kids and how I was a bad mother. You aren't still mad at me, are you, Herman? Really, in your heart? No, Grace, I'm glad you're going to be all right. That's all that counts. You want to tell us what happened, Miss Dillon, please? I was on my way home. I was going back. Cecil was walking home with me. It was raining pretty hard, and we came to a gutter that was full of water. I stepped up on the curb to go around it. I didn't want to step in the water, and I fell. Fell down the hill, rolled all the way to the bottom, all the way to the next street. I remember falling. I remember laying in the street down below and how I couldn't move. I didn't know about anything else after that. Until just when you got here, Len, I don't remember much of anything. You mean that you fell down yourself, that nobody beat you up, huh? No. Herman hit me when I was home. He got mad at me and hit me. But he was right. You were right, honey, real right. But it's going to be different, I promise you. Just as long as you ain't still mad at me, that's all that matters, that you ain't mad. Now, take it easy, honey. Everything's going to be all right. Just take it easy and try to get some sleep. I love you, Herman. I love you very much. And I'm going to make it all up to you, all the bad times. I'm going to make it all up to you. I love you, too, Grace. You go to sleep. Get some rest. All right, honey. All right, thank you, Miss Dillon. We better go. You going to want me anymore, Sergeant? No, I don't think so. wonder if she means it, if she really does. What's that? About making it up to the kids, how things are going to be different. Well, I don't know. She said she would. And that's just it. Hmm? She said it so many times before. The story you have just heard is true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On November 18th, a meeting was held in the captain's office, Homicide Division. In a moment, the results of that meeting. Now, here is our star, Jack Webb. Thank you, George Fenneman. Friends, we've been getting letters from people all over the country telling us that they've switched to Chesterfield. Now, just as I've been telling you, thousands of smokers are changing to Chesterfield because only Chesterfield gives proof of low nicotine, highest quality. That's why I recommend you try them today. Regular or king size, Chesterfields are really mild, really satisfying best for you. Since no crime had been committed, no legal action was taken against Mr. and Mrs. Dillon. Cecil August Johnson was removed to room 5 Georgia Street Receiving Hospital for further psychiatric examination. just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Technical advisors, Captain Jack Donahoe, Sergeant Marty Wynn, Sergeant Vance Brasher. Heard tonight were Ben Alexander, Jack Crucian, Vivi Janis, Harry Bartell. Script by John Robinson. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking. Watch an entirely new Dragnet case history each week on your local NBC television station. Please check your newspapers for the day and time.
Chesterfield has brought you Dragnet, transcribed from Los Angeles. Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.